This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. Got a very interesting show today, if I remember correctly based on my uh, call that I had with you guys a long time ago. I've got Howard and Trey with Redshift Energy here. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Doing great. Howard, straight off the plane from New Jersey. Trey drove in from Corpus. Corpus. Sherry drove in from Corpus and we got the Corpus crowd in here. Yeah, we Y'all only- tired? Um, <laughs> no, not really. We're, we're hungry. We didn't get yeah, a chance to we, eat. Hungry. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get a chance to eat. So going to yeah. get some food. Right after this yeah, podcast. Not so. airport food. Not airport food. <laughs> so uh, why don't y'all tell me real quick, high level, what is Redshift Energy? What do y'all do? And then we can dive into it. Sure. So we are a a company that develops and commercializes applications of plasma energy and chemistry to solve some complex problems in oil and gas. And the main complex problem that we're solving is dissociation of hydrogen sulfide into hydrogen and sulfur. So it's a it's a carbon-free process as long as we're paired with renewable energy uh, to, to power systems. But essentially, we can produce this hydrogen from this oil fuel poison for less than a dollar a kilogram. Yeah, so let me boil this down for, uh, let's say, layman's terms, just to make sure that I have a correct understanding. Mm-hmm. You guys are using a uh, you're using plasma to take hydrogen sulfide H two S and dissociate it and remove the the hydrogen. Yes, strip out the hydrogen. Exactly. That's what you're doing. Okay, so so this- for the, for those of you who don't know, plasma is the four state of matter, right? So yep. that's uh, yes. Yeah. Walk me through so the nerd walk stuff. You, Let's walk you the, walk you walk you through the science. The, Explain yeah. this to me. Like walk I'm through the easy walk through the easy stuff, and we'll get the more complex stuff. So there's solid, liquid, and gas. And then there's plasma. Plasma is that highest state of energy matter. So, you know, with solid, you, you kind of know what you get. Everybody experiences solids. It's stuff you find on Earth pretty pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Liquids, same thing. And we, we live sort of in a gas environment. But plasmas are generally not found naturally occurring. You know, you, you see lightning. That's a form of plasma. But plasmas are extremely high energy matter. Okay. And... Most of the visible universe, 97% of the visible universe, is plasma, Mm -hmm. okay? And by the way, that's sort of how our name comes because as you look at the universe, the plasma that you see is moving out and expanding, Yeah. okay? And that's called the redshift. Mm -hmm. And redshift energy is we're expanding the, the applications of plasma energy and chemistry here on this planet. That's super cool. That's, yeah. So... Uh, we didn't come up with that name. We had, <laughs> we, we, had, we, we we borrowed it. We borrowed. We, we borrowed, borrowed it. We borrowed it. Yeah, yeah. Borrowed it. Uh, yeah we we were looking at some names for the company, and yeah. and you know there's all when you go through naming a company, there's functional names and there's aspirational names. But we wanted to have something that was more directly related to the kinds of things that we're doing and the yeah. research that we're doing. And uh, this had been proposed to us for another. Uh, project that we were working on, and it did, it didn't quite make the cut for its for what it was going to be used for. 
And uh, but we always liked the name. We thought, boy, this would be a great name for a company. Um, yeah, if it were more more outside of the original original intent. So that's kind of the reason why we, we picked this name. That's awesome. That's actually, the, the it actually definitely. Was, it seemed it, for us, it seemed yeah. like it was the name was built for us. Yeah. Yeah. Like with us in mind, with mm -hmm. this project in mind. Mm -hmm. And um, so we ran with it. Yeah, yeah. We just ran with it. So um, tell me. So, so, so to continue on with plasma, yeah. because I want to make sure that, that we don't lose the let's thread set, here. Let's set the foundation Yeah. Here. So, so plasma state matter is where the electrons are, are dissociated or unbound from the nucleus. Okay. So they sort of float in a, in a, in a cloud around all the matter. And because that is the case, you get electrical conductivity within that plasma matter. So you could do some really cool things with the matter when it's in that state. You can make it combine in ways that it wouldn't otherwise combine, or you can separate it in ways, or you can make it, you can make it rotate. You could do a whole bunch of really cool things with it in that state because it's, it's a, such a high energy uh, platform. Uh, so you've seen plasma and a lot of it's blunt force trap plasma like plasma TVs where you simply yeah. put enough energy in it and it emits a light. Yeah. Or you have a plasma torch that can cut some metal. That's sort of blunt force. Mm -hmm. But we're doing things that are more sophisticated and more precise, uh, especially if you're talking about dissociating uh, hydrogen sulfide or carbon dioxide or any other kind of, of chemical that is that you want a specific outcome, that you want to use it for a specific purpose. And that's where some of those really cool techniques that has primarily been part of laboratory research around the world is now starting to make it out into real world applications. And we're one of those real world <coughs> applications. All right. This is super cool to me because it's so far outside of my understanding yeah. of um, science. Like I don't get to mess around with plasma except for plasma torches. <laughs> Got to yeah. mess around with those. But so <coughs> one, let's talk about, I want to know more about y'all and y'all's backgrounds because you have a really interesting company here. Howard, why don't you tell me about your background and how you learned about um, plasma in the first place? And then Trey, I wanna hear how you got wrapped up into this as well. Oh boy, my uninteresting life, right? <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm from New Orleans. Okay. So, uh, and I've actually worked offshore. He redeemed himself. I yeah, he is from he New did. Jersey, but he's from New Orleans. He went to so. New Jersey in college I went, and I never went to, went home. I went, to a, I went to a college in New Jersey. And then I went to Tulane Business School. Uh, I actually worked offshore oh, for, okay. for three summers. Awesome. Uh, I, don't, I just don't know if you can be from South Louisiana and not work offshore. You, like you, a no, of it's, it's one of the things that you have to do. If you, you don't become a real man yeah. unless you worked offshore in some capacity. So yeah, I spent uh, three summers, actually a, a, a fourth summer, working in the maintenance and repair shop, which was kind of really cool. Where yeah. I got to actually use a plasma torch. That's the first. Yeah, time. I didn't know it was a. Yeah. I didn't know it was a plasma torch, but I, 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 I was a terrible welder, absolutely terrible welder. That's why they stuck me back on, yeah. on the barge. I can see that. Yeah, I was terrible. Yeah, I've never heard this story, but I can yeah. see he I was, was a horrible terrible. welder. I was terrible. You should uh, see him ride a tractor. Yeah, you should see. Yeah, no, this land, land and me don't don't get along. 
Uh, so after I, after I graduated from business school, I went to work for what is now Honeywell. It was called Allied Signal at the time, and I worked in their engineered materials division. And while I was there, I basically either helped turn around or develop uh, novel technologies. So either turn around businesses that weren't performing, or I was developing technologies that were coming out of the research lab and helping them find traction within, uh, within their niches. So we, I worked on really cool things like uh, met glass, which is amorphous metals, which is kind of fun to use in electrical conductivity uh, uh, fields like transformers on, on telephone poles and uh, novel plastics. And I formed joint ventures with Japanese companies to do some of these things. It was really kind of fun stuff. But I got to understand the hardcore nature of, of, of manufacturing and, mm -hmm. and, and the kind of uh, – hard hat aspect of, of, Amer yeah. of American, American uh, resources. Uh, I've had one, one, of my, one of my companies was out in uh, Wyoming and it was a mining. Yeah. My, I, it was really cool. Uh, one day I, I got this request, I need a new tire. Uh, okay, I need a new tire. Well, what's this tire for? Well, it goes on to one of our trucks that moves some of the soda ash, okay? Why do I need to approve this? So, well, it's two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> this <laughs> is in, this is in nineteen eighty five dollars. So this was this is some real money. I'm like, okay, I understand now why I need to approve this. So, uh, so I got to learn about uh, about what it takes to run a capex business and yeah. and be in, in that. And from there, I went to work for Pfizer, doing the sort of the same things as, as uh, Pfizer at the time was a conglomerate. Mm -hmm. working to help them turn around their their non-core businesses and getting them to sale and then helping them transition some of their new products that were coming on stream, you know, commercializing them and launching them. I went to Bristol-Myers, did the same thing. Uh, and we have, Trey and I have an overlapped history in and, the sense that- And didn't know each other. Didn't know each other, but uh, two of the drugs that I helped commercialize uh, wound up being two of the drugs that he sold. No, actually- Oh, you did, oh no, no. I didn't sell you, them. You didn't but, sell but, them. But the company I worked for. The company for you worked for. Did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the company you worked for did. So, um, what company did you work for? Sanofi Aventus. It was actually okay. Sanofi Synthal LeBeau when I started there. All right. My dad was a uh, pharmaceutical rep growing yeah. up for- mm -hmm. uh, AstraZeneca. Oh, uh, okay, so, easy. Yeah, yeah, so, grew, yeah, so he's kinda, probably just Astra at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. I grew up, uh, grew up around that industry. The, the original mm -hmm. guys were eight. I knew one of the guys in Corpus that worked at Astra, and he told me there were eight eight reps for Astra, and they covered the entire United States. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know where my dad is at in that process. Okay. I'll have to go back and ask him. Is he still alive? History. Yeah, probably, yeah. probably, probably a low number. Yeah. Maybe he probably some. knows my my buddy Harry, but he's passed. So yeah, small 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 world. world. Yeah, Very small world. Yeah. So after after doing the corporate you know Fortune fifty thing for a while, um, there was this sort of pull in the late nineties to get into entrepreneurship, and I left big pharma and big companies to start developing these these small entities on my own, and uh, I was either the first executive in or a founder or co-founder of, I guess it's now 11 different companies. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, so I came to meet Trey when I was asked, I was consulting to an investment banking firm who was doing some evaluation of, of, uh, of novel technologies. 
and I was invited to a conference that Trey was at, mm -hmm. which was down in Philadelphia looking at plasma enterprises or yep. plasma research. And it was really, really, really cool. I mean, some of the things that they were doing, I'm like, wow, I have not seen this before. <laughs> Uh, they were they were doing things with like jet engines, and they were doing things with uh, nano uh, nano na uh, nanomolecules, yeah. and getting th it was fascinating stuff. They had like twenty different programs, and mm -hmm. every one of them was, you know, just as cool as the next. Um, and at that moment, I decided, you know, this is kind of where I want to be because this is the frontier yeah. of scientific research, yeah. plasma energy and chemistry. Yeah. This is this is awesome stuff, and um, so when I got when I got back home, I started, you know, talking to some of the people, and I and I and I called Trey and said, you know, what this is, this is re really fascinating stuff. What do you think we should look at first? And that's when we came to decide upon a, a medical device mm -hmm. that's currently about to go into phase three. We it, it's. We've moved on from that company. I'm yeah. still on the board of it, but yeah. it was, we've moved on from it. But it's mm -hmm. currently in phase three. But we we founded that company. We got it got it through its rounds of funding, and and it's now on a trajectory on its own. So, yeah. but it's but it was it was thrilling to be able to to get one of these programs off the ground like that and get it get, get it sure. going. So we five years ago we formed an incubator mm -hmm. to do more of the same instead of looking at one project at a time have a suite of them and have them all go simultaneously. Yeah. And that's Redshift was the first out of that. Redshift Red is the first, the first graduate out first batch. graduate mm -hmm. out of that batch. Got you. So how did um you know you have this incubator type model to where you could run uh, several different projects or ideas simultaneously. How did the idea of Redshift come to be? I mean, how did y'all identify that hey, there's sour gas so, in these oil and gas applications. Well, hold on. Let, let let Trey let Trey tell him about himself because right. you're oh, you're no. you're really jumping in because right. this is this <laughs> no, is no, where no. this is where well, the, the the brain trust here. So, so right. I'll let you, but yeah. you'll be able to tell who went to Princeton and who went to Southwest Texas or now Texas. Because <laughs> um, I'll make mine very short. Um, you know, so I started out as a as a an accountant that got into pharmaceutical sales, thinking I will build my way up into into um, into the accounting department from the sales department. And um, I realized that they would, if in order to do that, you were going to have to move to New Jersey. And um, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, you're not taking this Texas guy to New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, no, no way. It's not going to happen. So, <clears throat> so I, I worked in pharma about 20 years. It just ha so happened that, that like a lot of that Howard did, um, I, I was at Warner Lambert, which was a division of Pfizer now. Um, where, and he worked at Pfizer, um, Sanofi sent the LeBeau, became now Sanofi Aventis, and Howard um, was a business development VP that brought a few of um, Sanofi's prize products over. Um, a lot of the guys I worked with at, at Sanofi launched those products in the late 90s with Sanofi. And so I went from accountant to drug rep to these kinds of technologies falling in my lap and deciding that I think, you know, this is the wave of the future. And these are things I really want to do. I'm not really a sales guy. Yeah. Um, it, it just so happened that everybody else thought I was a sales guy, but <laughs> I, I'm still an accountant with a business mind in the background. So I really wanted to do something that was, um, 
life-changing. And, and, and that's where these are. And so I helped develop the program there at Drexel to start that initial, um, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, seminar or convention. It was real small. We it only invited really a few people, mm -hmm. um, most, most of which were venture capitalists, to get an idea of what, what, to, uh, what, what to go with first. And, um, and so, like you said, we started with the, uh, the medical device and, um, we did that for, well, I'm thinking that was that 2010, 2010 is when we started the medical device. And, and then, so, and, you know, we got that to a point where it has its own management team now that's running it. And we, we moved over to, uh, to start an incubator and then into, into Redshift. And mm -hmm. then, so how did Redshift come out of this? Because it was well, we were thinking at the time when we were looking at some of these programs th that there was an opportunity to take some of these plasma technologies and go from gas to liquid. Mm -hmm. All right, using and significantly lower the cost of doing business by by using plasma energy and plasma chemistries. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so, with all things in life, it was by accident. Yeah, because yeah. we 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 really started out as a, a mm -hmm. gas to liquid, uh, coal to gas play, mm -hmm. and part of that. Um, Part, part of the process, there's like six different pieces of that process to get to GTL. Um, H2S is one of them. And being from Texas, knowing a lot of people in oil and gas, everybody, every time we spoke to them would say, you know, H2S is a major issue in oil and gas, major, all the way up uh, up the entire stream from you know, upstream, downstream. Mm -hmm. it, it's a big deal. And when we, we started talking to the guys in the field that, you know, either in... Um, you know, uh, roughnecks to you know, engineers, everybody kept saying, if you could really do something with hydrogen sulfur, and we realized that GTL really isn't as a big concern, doing that entire piece isn't a big concern as much as doing something with with H2S and help solving um, a big issue. And in, in, um, in we, we kind of realized that we needed to solve that hydrogen sulfide problem anyway. Mm -hmm. in order to get the GTL program start to finish. Because uh, if you don't figure that out, it's going to be really hard to deal with the sulfur that comes out of your system. And we had some researchers that we knew that had a great deal of experience with hydrogen sulfide. Mm -hmm. And we're chatting with them and they're like, yeah, this is, we can do this. And um, and it became the core. And it became of the, the core of what the company is. So we yeah. we uh, we convinced this the 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 lead scientist to join us. He was out of Conoco. Uh, no, sorry, Chevron. Chevron. He was Chevron. out of Chevron, and um, he spent ten years there working on a lot of different interesting things for them. And uh, he joined us in two thousand eighteen or nineteen. Early early two thousand eighteen. Yeah. Early two thousand eighteen, and. Um, we've spent the better part of the last four and a half years pursuing this uh, solution so for hydrogen sulfide. Explain this to me of how it actually works. Like, <laughs> what are like one from a basic visual? Like, imagine I haven't yeah. seen, I haven't seen the process, the equipment. I don't know what it looks like. Explain to me what it looks like, how it works. Um, kind of. Paint, paint a picture for me here. Sure. So simply, you take a, a stream of hydrogen sulfide gas, 
you pass it into our chamber, which has dynamics of flow to it that are very important. And we inject through electrodes a very high voltage, low current through that chamber at very specific points within the chamber in order to make the hydrogen sulfide dissociate, but not reassociate. So it has to, it's got to be a one-way reaction. And essentially... So essentially you run this, this voltage and then it disassociates? It disassociates. Okay. But because of the way the gas is moving through the chamber, it, it's, it's going to be a one-way reaction mm -hmm. because most of the time you put that much energy in, it'll, it'll cause it to reform. Okay. Okay. And you don't want that to happen. Yeah. You just don't want to waste energy like that. So yeah. you have to, you, there, there's structural dynamics along with the, with the, uh, with the electronics and electrical current that have to all dovetail in together in order to make it be a one-way reaction. Now, the, the interesting thing about this is, is that you can, you can, the more energy you put in, the more efficient your system is going to be. Okay. But then the more energy you put in, uh, each additional level of efficiency is like a logarithmic scale. You have to put an enormous amount of energy to get a hundred percent conversion. So we don't try for that. What we yeah. try to do is make sure that it is the lowest cost. Yeah. So we don't try There's to going do to be it. a point of diminishing return. Exactly. Yeah. So we have so we recycle it so we get about half of it. If you have to recycle anything, you might as well recycle enough. Yeah. At, yeah. At a certain energy mm -hmm. level so that yeah. It, it maximizes the use of the entire unit. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and in this way, we can keep the cost of dissociation down by putting just enough energy in to make it uh, have a reasonable amount of efficiency and at the lowest, at the lowest overall cost per kilogram. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we're able to do that because we precisely control the environment in which the, electro the electrodes operate. The gas flows are precise. The electrodes, the, the the current is precise, and we're able to get that that performance. Current version's about the size of a refrigerator. Actually, okay. no. The the the, well, the, 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 business the business end, end is, is about the size of my cell phone. Yeah, the entire unit with um, what are those things? The the uh, well, the valves the, and, the, yeah, and the, the pipes that go but, through. And, and, and well, all the, some of it looks nuclear, even the uh, yeah. the, the chamber, the the. the the heat chamber, the heat exchangers. Oh, the heat exchangers. Um, yeah, it, it all looks like something mm -hmm. out of like James Bond. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but but basically, the 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 business end of our unit is about the size of my cell phone. Okay. And um, the the temperature inside the chamber is around fifteen hundred. I guess it's that's fifteen K, but yeah. we'll, we'll, you know, converting it, it's like like twelve hundred and fifty C. Okay. Okay. About three thousand degrees. Yeah. So it's pretty hot. Yeah. But don't do the math on that. No, yeah. don't, don't do the math. <laughs> no yeah. one pull out the calculator. Yeah. No, no, there's probably somebody out there like, you said that wrong. It's all right. I'm going to count it, guys. But yeah, our, our, our lead scientist is probably going to. Plus or minus. Allow <laughs> like, for you, some error. You, you're yeah. off by 10%. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, no. Yeah. yeah. And they're very so precise. It, with, they're is very your, precise. Is your primary dr driver from a economic perspective on, I, I imagine the price of your electricity is going to impact economics as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your, your acquisition cost of electricity is going to determine just how cheap your hydrogen produced from this is going to be. I mean, yeah. if you're a typical refinery here in Texas, you're buying 
wholesale electricity off, you know, three to four cents, three to four cents a kilowatt. Um, If we, if you get to seven cents, if that's what your wholesale acquisition cost is, then you're still under a dollar a kilogram for hydrogen. Yeah. And if you know anything about what our, our targets are, you know, worldwide and actually our DOE's target. Well, I don't know producing, anything, so oh, okay. dive, dive into the, that. To the, 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 hydrogen the, shot, the hydrogen shot is a dollar a kilogram for okay. hydrogen. Okay. And um, we, we should be able to hit that mark pretty, pretty easily. Cool. Yeah, so what you guys are looking for for a good application is you need a place that has sour gas. So, um, you know, this, you can find this in many uh, oil and gas basins, but... It's also good for you guys is that if you overlay, hey, where can we get cheap electricity? It also mm-hmm. overlays on oil and oh, gas yeah. basins uh, pretty pretty well. So a lot of people have access to cheap uh, electricity. So you can find those two things. Um, let's talk about the scale of it because you guys explained the size of the physical equipment to me. Now, how little how little H2S does it make sense to run this on and how can it scale up infinitely to any volume? Walk yeah. me through how the technology works. So the, these are going to be designed to be modular. Okay. Okay. And there will be uh, three or four. We're still working out exactly how, what our, our uh, step stair-step function on terms mm-hmm. of capacity are going to be. But the, our minimum viable product is about 10 kilowatts. So that equates to around two tons a day of sulfur production. So that's sort of the minimum amount of throughput that you'd want to have here. But that requires some gas separation at the front end and a little bit of, and some repiping to do some recycling on the back end. Uh, it makes sense at that small scale if you're unlocking a trapped asset. So if you've got a well or a well pad that's producing a lot of sour gas and you still have a lot of reserve that you'd like to be able to get access to, but that sour gas is preventing you from operating either safely or at all, mm-hmm. um, then this can help you unlock that trapped asset. So it, so it makes sense to be able to access that. Yeah. We're, uh, we're not looking for it to replace like the ultra fabs or no. the low cap machines. No, we're going to take, at that level, at the wellhead level, the well pad level, um, there, there's a lot of um, shut in or shuttered in that um, that will fit in, into um, what five percent, six percent. Yeah, would be uh, you can you can have wells that are five six percent that just make it, and you can't do anything too with expensive to yeah. deal with the gas. You can't treat it. Yeah. You can't treat it. And you, yeah. The ultra fabs are great, but they, at that high level, yeah. especially if you have a high throughput gas stream coming out of these wells, you, you just can't make money on it. So they, they wind up, uh, like Trey said, hibernating them until a new technology comes along. And this is where it would be valuable upstream downstream. Uh, if you're at a refinery, which is actually our beachhead market, mm-hmm. Uh, you've got all the gas separation equipment already installed. Mm-hmm. It's a legacy system for us. We would be replacing what w- was known as the Klaus technology within that system. And we would take the separated gas, we would separate the hydrogen from the from the sulfur, and the sulfur is what the 
refineries produce anyway, so that's not going to change. Mm -hmm. But the refinery will be able to recover the hydrogen that we produce and feed it back into the front end. Mm -hmm. The refineries use 25% of all the hydrogen that's produced in this country to remove sulfur and okay. among other things. Well, that, that's actually, that's a good point that you just brought up that refineries are kind of your beachhead for entry into the market because I'm thinking, you know, if you're an upstream operator and you have sour gas at the wellhead, I'm thinking, okay, you disassociate it. Now you have hydrogen, but what are you doing with the hydrogen at that point, but the refineries, mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they're because using it. Yeah. They're, they're already using it. it. Yeah. 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 Or, or creating their own mm -hmm. from yeah. methane or. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and the, the benefit to the refinery is not only are they recovering the hydrogen, but it, if they're sourcing it from steam methane reformation, we're saving them 8.9 tons for every ton that we produce out of our system. Yeah. So they can reduce their carbon footprint and either scope one to if they're producing the on site or if they're buying it off you know off the pipeline there's just scope two emissions then yeah. the 8.9 tons so if you're a typical plant that's 250 tons a day of sulfur you you could be saving yourself what is that about Right. 150, 150 tons, 150 tons. Charity said we're not busting out the calculator. I was an accountant, yeah. but I, the, the math yeah. is it just add and subtract. Yeah, 100, 150 tons a day of, of carbon dioxide that you're saving and putting yeah. out. And, you know, over the course of a year, yeah, that's it adds up to real significant, real significant uh, impact on your on your carbon footprint. And that that's. You know, among other drivers, obviously profitability. Everybody wants that. You want to lower your capex? That's a good. That's a good. Yeah. Thing for us because our capex is pretty low, relatively. Um, but also improving your carbon footprint, your performance. You know. You know, it's funny when we started this, we would talk about lowering your carbon footprint and um, the green side of this because you're actually turning a waste product into mm -hmm. a product you could use. Yeah. So, stuff, I mean, yeah. it, and, and it's kind of the best of all worlds. It's the typical conservative green in that it's green that makes you money. So it's green in that it saves the planet and it's green in, in that it, you can make, you can make more money yeah, off I mean, of it this way. I mean, but we weren't getting any play from I, it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't want, they were, they were making money. I'm a true capitalist. So I think that the best solutions for sustainability and climate are the ones that are superior technology and mm -hmm. economics. And so at the end of the day, I don't care what anyone says, economics drive everything, right? And Absolutely. So, um, when you can find a solution that has, mm -hmm. you know, it's at the intersection of both of those yep. things. It's, um, and there aren't, there are many out there. No, mm -hmm. there's not a ton out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and this is the reason why we call it golden hydrogen. Because you're, you know, one man's garbage is another man's gold. Yeah. And this produces what the industry wants, which is carbon-free hydrogen at less than a dollar a kilogram. I mean, it hits, it has, it hits everything. Yeah. Let's talk about running the business because I'm always intrigued by uh, capital-intensive businesses um, and startups because it adds a completely different element than. Mm -hmm. The startup world where you can spin up code and get products mm -hmm. launched uh fairly cheaply um so y'all are about four years into this about four years in possibly yeah. okay let's talk about uh the the r d phase and you know how long did that process take and you know did you guys did you guys 
bootstrap that process? Did y'all raise capital uh, to develop the technology? Walk me through that a little bit. We did both. Mm -hmm. I say all the above. Yeah, we <laughs> did both. <laughs> we 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 pitched in our own money. You know, yeah, uh, we got friends and family. We got some sophisticated investors who believed in what the what the technology could do. They believed in us as a management team, which was some of the technology was already fairly developed. It just didn't have the right um, push behind it. it. It was being developed. Now we we had developed it further yeah. in the last four and a half five years, um, but I mean it's it's kind of feeding off of forty years of. Um, technology development here so yeah. we yeah. can't take credit for all no, of we it yeah we can't yeah we we stand on the shoulders of a lot of really good researchers who have put enormous amount of time and energy into trying to solve and, this it's problem. really hard to estimate like how much money was actually spent if you if you looked at it as a whole um how much money was spent on developing this technology and how much of it you know was put in by us and our group and and um and, and the investors that, that came in four and a half years ago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's 10 times probably what we've done already. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is how all technological innovations come about, right? I mean, it's hardly ever just one moment when something's discovered. It's usually yeah. a common or an mm -hmm. aggregator. Yeah. Yep. Cumulative effort of a bunch of smart people. It's a lot of smart people. I mean, we, it, for us, it's, it's a couple of really smart guys who've, who have seen where the challenges were from other attempts and under and, and understand the way refineries work because it's important to consider yeah you know what kind of application you're going to use in terms of creating the plasmas and then how you're going to manage the the system so that it integrates with that refineries yeah or or, or even up, up up at the at the well i mean yeah so you you can't just look at it in terms of we'd have lots of really good plasma chemists because we do, but they also come with you know, a, a long history of of research in oil and gas. Yeah, because you, you can't critical. do both. Yeah, you, you can't you can't have one without the other and be successful. Yeah, which always I mean it's always uh, tough because it's like where does your domain expertise come mm -hmm. from? You know, you have these. Really smart chemists or do they have oil and gas it's hard to mm -hmm, find you mm -hmm. know people that understand both both sides because um you know you can always make technology and say oh we think that this will have an application in oil and gas but unless you really understand the oil and gas applications thoroughly like even me like yeah. i don't understand refineries i know what refineries do but mm -hmm. i can't speak intelligently and go deep on the operations of refineries now you want to talk about drilling wells? I can drill a well. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, being able to have that domain expertise to have context of what you're actually well, even within the building. refinery, when you talk to somebody in a refinery, they know what they do in the refinery. <laughs> they know their position, yeah. their function. Well, what yeah. happens upstream? Uh, yeah. What happens downstream? Uh, yeah. Well, let me ask this guy. <laughs> okay. But I want to know what happens right after you finish. Yeah. So, and it, it's so even for guys like, like we mm -hmm. came sort of out of pharma. My, and Howard worked a little bit in oil and gas, but yeah, I really came out of pharma, accounting, and then pharma. So for me, you know, the only oil and gas experience I had was from, you know, just being in Texas. Yeah. And there's oil and gas everywhere. And Corpus is huge in oil it's and gas. It's osmosis yeah. in Texas. Yeah. You just have to breathe it and, yeah. and you, get, you get informed. But we've learned a lot over these last four and a half years about, and I mean, you might want to say something a little bit on how we ended up at uh, refining as, as our beachhead instead of starting, because our, our product is small right now. And it's like we said, it's modular, 
but but you may want to get into a little bit of yeah. how we started that that small piece yeah. to start at the large side. Yeah. So yeah. so when you you know obviously when you're when you're looking at where is this going to go, you know who do we sell it to? You have to figure out given what you have, who's going to want it. Mm-hmm. And when we were looking at the size and what it would take for us to get to a refinery scale solution, thinking, oh, you know, it's going to be three, four, five years. We need to we need to sell smaller units, but those smaller units are only really applicable at the wellhead. Okay, and there's an obvious opportunity because at certain, as we discussed earlier, that certain wells the hydrogen sulfide content gets so high that it's really tough to recover. So the argument would be, hey, we'll go upstream and we will start uh, producing these small modules, you know, bring it all in, you know, either do fee for service or, you know, mm-hmm. if, if somebody was, wants to buy the whole thing, we'd sell them the whole, whole kit and service it. Um, but go to places where there would be high, high sulfur content wells and unlock those assets, and, it, and, and that would be the driver. Unfortunately, after we had gotten sort of what we thought would be enough momentum into the, into the industry, right, upstream, uh, the price went to negative $38 a barrel. <laughs> yeah. You know. No one and, cares about hearing about plasma. And nobody, nobody <laughs> cares about plasma when, when that happens. And then the pandemic. And then the pandemic. And we kept, we kept moving along. We kept continuing to push the boundaries of our technology and it became pretty clear that we could with a, a little help and a little bit more money rapidly accelerate towards that refinery scale solutions and that seemed to be also where the interest was starting to come because legacy systems the need to reduce carbon footprint et cetera et cetera the, the world changed the too. world did green. change everybody wanted hydrogen mm-hmm. the last g20 was right hydrogen yeah um, yeah there is big all this yeah. macro yes. macro yeah the macro movements. the macro yeah. movement started yeah. to to direct us and and we realized that uh, this i guess was about a year and a half ago that it was important for us to make that pivot towards the refinery scale solutions. Mm -hmm. And we started adjusting our technological development so that it would, uh, when ready, slingshot towards that application. It doesn't mean that we're abandoning upstream by any stretch. No, No. but I mean, when you look for distribution of a product, it doesn't matter what product it is, you always look for your uh, path of least resistance mm -hmm. to, to wedge in, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, it is really interesting how 2020 changed so many things on a macro perspective because now it was like a flip of a switch in mm-hmm. terms of ESG mm-hmm. and looking for it. It's kind of crazy. I don't how even that know that all. term existed prior to 2020, did it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you never really heard about I've it. I've never heard I mean, about yeah. it. They no? called, them, yeah. called it green or climate. Yeah. Or, yeah. Now, now yeah. it's ESG everywhere. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. really crazy how that was such a catalyst for many different things. But, um, you know, hydrogen, we're kind of talking about hydrogen, but, you know, wasn't a ton of mm-hmm. movement around it. And then now all of a sudden everyone's talking about hydrogen. And so... And then hydrogen has a lot of questions around it too. Like, how do you produce it economically? And mm-hmm. how do you store scale? it? How, how do you, do you, how do you move it around? It? Yeah, there's yeah. A, lot, a lot of questions around it. But that's why. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why a refinery. The refinery makes so it, much it makes sense because so yeah, they're already I mean, utilizing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you when you told me that 
um you know it's one of their one of their inputs it's such a heavy percentage of inputs it's mm-hmm. like okay well you can take this waste and then start having circular economy there where you're taking waste turning it into hydrogen and that's that's pretty big efficiencies if uh and, and also a couple other things to it like you know we need gas separation which isn't really out in the upstream right now um you know there aren't aiming systems really out in the field anymore so um and there are in areas don't 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 let somebody tell me oh he's an idiot he's wrong he's wrong <laughs> we do use it but i mean it does but it's not like it used to be and um and so those separation systems are already there at, at a refinery and this the, the the hydrogen coming out the hydrogen sulfide coming out at, at a refinery is pure you know more pure hydrogen sulfide it doesn't have all the the btex and yeah the other stuff that yeah that may interfere with with the separation process yeah, yeah. i mean we're our technology is kind of agnostic to any of those other components of the of a gas stream so it'll work fine with btexes it'll work fine with methane and 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 uh and ammonia It'll work fine with water. It works fine with carbon dioxide. In fact, we've been modeling some uh, some customer streams, some potential customer streams that have as much as forty seven percent carbon dioxide in them, and our system works just fine with that. Um, we'd prefer, I think, everybody would prefer to have a more concentrated hydrogen sulfide stream because you know you use less energy, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera. But but a lot of times you don't get to pick the you the flow that the you you've got, yeah. you have to deal with the with the problem yeah. you have, and 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 the the refineries have to deal with this problem. They have to deal with this gas. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a very sour thing, and you you they don't have or they didn't have a lot of options. They either throw it through the cloud system or or they don't operate at all. So they have to they have to deal with that, and mm-hmm. with the technologies they have, this gives them another another bullet in their chamber to be able to deal with problems that come along. So if, if they wind up having, uh, you know, whatever type of gas stream that comes out of their, out of their separators, our technology should be in a good position to be able to handle pretty much anything that comes out. Yeah. This is really fascinating stuff to me. Um, you know, I've seen some other H2S technologies. I think we've had them on the show. Um, both that use different types of processes, whether it's chemical mm-hmm. or uh, mechanical. Um, but the idea of using plasma to dissociate, like I feel like I'm getting a, a plasma 101 <laughs> course here and you know, talking about dissociation of molecules, mm-hmm. um, super interesting to me. And, you know, there's other uh, companies out there like uh, some Vita, which I don't know if you guys have ran across or not, but they're using DNA sequencing. Um, and they have, um, you know, they t- talk about uh, gold hydrogen and, um, you know, taking oil and gas and CO2 and being able to produce uh, hydrogen from it. So there's a lot of interesting, mm-hmm. and I mean, you look at DNA sequencing mm-hmm. with CRISPR, I mean, that has come such yeah. a long way. So it's interesting to see these two different technologies, DNA sequencing and plasma, um, and then finding use cases for them in uh, oil and gas and hydrogen. Yeah. It's pretty exciting mm-hmm. times. It is very exciting. You know, it's, you know, when, when there's an interest and a desire to solve problems, you get a lot of creative minds ready to go. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and it's pretty cool to see all the really interesting things that have come about given that 
I think the industry is ready to solve these problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they, they, they've got an incentive to, and I think, and I think the economics are there for a lot of these technologies to be able yeah. to utilize them and achieve some of their goals. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe six, seven years ago, there weren't a lot of these options that were available. The a lot of these uh, technologies just weren't ready for for prime time. And I think now that they are. The industry has options. They have places to go. Timing's right. Time is good. Yeah, Time I'm is extremely everything. optimistic and bullish on humans' ability oh, yeah. to figure out creative oh, yeah. solutions to our problems. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Aren't the I, aliens going to come mm, save us? Hey, the aliens are going to save us. Yeah, had a big alien conversation at the office yesterday, actually. So don't get me started on <laughs> on that. But guys, if someone's listening to the show and they're interested in uh, Redshift and what you guys are working on. How can they reach out? Do you have a website? Are you all on LinkedIn? Uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you all? Yeah, but you, the, you can contact us through the website or you can reach us at LinkedIn. Um, what's the website? What's the URL? com. All right. There yep. you go. So we'll put a mm-hmm. link to that in the show notes. Um, if you reach out to uh, Howard, give him a hard time for moving up to uh, New Jersey and <laughs> not being back down in the South, if you reach out to Trey, give him kudos for never leaving Texas. Cool. So <laughs> not going to happen. So guys, I appreciate y'all coming on the show. Oh, this has been um, great. This is, uh, I, I like shows like this because I get to learn and, um, you know, discover new technologies that I have no experience with. So it's really cool um, to be able to hear about this, get a little bit of uh, Plasma 101 and then really understanding the application that it that it can be used in across we'll the sector. We'll come back and so. talk to you when yeah. we get our pilot running. Yeah. I want to come see it. So, yeah. Yeah. I want to come see it. It might be local. There we go. All it right. might be very close. There we go. Once you get it up and running, I want to come see it live in action. So appreciate you guys coming on the show. Thank I you so much it. for Thanks. having us. This has been awesome. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Love, love your show. Thank you. Take care. Hey, thank you guys. Come, 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 come.